Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
It was the third day out, and the group had been trekking through the alien woods only a few hours since dawn. But Wesley was already tired from hauling their spoils from Discovery Site 2 on his much-strained back. He had never been a fan of physical labor. Even as a kid, he despised it, preferring to be nose-deep in a book rather than chopping wood or milking the cows. Still, the burden was nothing compared to the one he hauled in his head. Ever since the dream, the voice had said little, not even to chastise or insult him. This concerned Wesley. Despite the voice's bluster, something wasn't right. It didn't want him to see those things, witness whatever it was he was privy to. He'd been thinking about the images a lot, and with each cognitive effort to remember, he could feel the burning ire of the thing living within him. He recalled those last moments of the dream, the indignation he felt, the rage. It was akin to nothing he'd felt before, as if it were beyond the spectrum of normal human senses. And yet he felt them as if they were his. He could only conclude they were the things, the voices, memories. But what did they mean? What was their significance? He decided to address the thing, risking another mind-jarring headache. You can't ignore me forever. Why won't you answer my questions? On the contrary, little Wesley. I can wait until the stars burn out. That's it, right right there. You're always so hell-bent on convincing me that you're so much more than a voice. But then when I'm afforded some glimpse as to whatever the hell you are, you recoil. Is this some kind of fucking game to you? If so, I'm tired of fucking playing it. <laughs> and what will you do about it? Hmm? Will you get your little friends to perform an exorcism? Beg God for help? Your prayers are wingless, Wesley. And the things that would listen to them? Mm, well, you're starting to get a pretty good picture of what they may be like. <laughs> you and your kind are meaningless. Motes of dust that occasionally catch the gaze of a dying and indifferent sun. Tell me, did you like what you saw? All those things in the dark. Because that's what awaits you, Wesley. It's what awaits this little ball of inconsequential dirt you call a fucking world. Why can't you just be straight with me, goddammit? All these fucking innuendos and inferences, but never a solid answer. But you can't control it, can you? The dreams. That's what's pissing you off, isn't it? That you can no longer control the flow of knowledge. That I'll eventually, inevitably, know what you don't want me to know. <laughs> Not at all, Wesley. I can't wait for you to know. But such knowledge should never be attained so easily. No, you'll have to work for it. And when all your hard labor pays off, when you've connected all the little dots, know that I'll still be here to watch you quiver in the haunting light of unbound revelation. The thing's words caused something deep in Wesley to shift some unknown quantity that squirmed at their ominousness. It was something ancient, ancestral, something that transcended the meager bindings of flesh and superseded the grasps of time and space. It was an alien feeling, one that caused him to start shaking. He stiffened himself, glancing at the others, afraid they might see. He psychically backed away from the voice, as if it were a tiger about to pounce, and focused on the external world, as dismal as it was. 
As the troop continued on, Wesley noticed Salvatore slipping towards the back of the group, towards him. He had a feeling he knew what this was about. Uh, Dr. Dr. Morgan? Please, uh, just call me Wes. Okay, yeah, uh, Wes. Uh, what's, what's the deal with Mr. Moffat and River? I mean, uh, not to be rude or anything, but... Yes, um, you want to know why River doesn't speak and why Cyrus looks like he belongs at a Ren Fair and not a scientific expedition. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I guess that's one way of putting it. <sighs> well, it, it's a bit, um, complicated. Um, I know this may be hard to believe, but they're possessed of certain, I guess you call them abilities. Wesley went on to explain what he understood of the Malsair, the cursed life he lived, and his horrifying capacities. He did the same with Moffat, pointing out why the man carried around that absurd lantern and the prognosticating abilities it supposedly facilitated. Through all of it, Salvatore only listened, never pushing back, never questioning the authenticity of Wesley's words. When he was finished, he studied Salvatore. I'm, I'm sorry, but... You seem to strangely... I don't know. You're strangely accepting of all this. Well, I, you know, I did see all my friends and associates get tortured and killed by what seemed to be a storm from hell, but, uh... You know, that certainly greased the gears. But yeah, yeah, I, uh... I've always believed in that sort of stuff. Uh, especially after the darkness. Uh, my sister, she's a heckin', you see. So, uh... She's told me about all sorts of weird things. Like, um, like these creatures they refer to as old bloods, for instance. Uh, ancient things that hold sway over nature. I mean, it, it could just be a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, but, uh... But if people like Moffat and River exist, maybe those things do too. Salvatore paused for a moment, scratching his head. You know, something still doesn't make sense, though. Uh, why does Mr. Moffat dress like that? Wesley looked at him for a moment, pondering. Well, uh, that I'm not sure of, but I have a hypothesis. What's that? He's a pretentious asshole. <laughs> Shh. Sorry. The two men caught up with the rest of the group, trudging through the vast undergrowth and tendrils of mist now slithering between the trees and foliage. As always, Rivo was in the lead, his head occasionally swinging back and forth, searching for any sign of danger. When the thickets began to thin, the gigantic trees turning into thin, pale saplings and the reaching branches tamed, there became visible a kind of path. It was crude, some renegade vines and branches invading the stone and dirt lane, but it was discernible. Well, I'm guessing this leads to the town, yes? Wouldn't be a bad guess. Moffat turned towards Salvatore. Any idea how far until we get to this town? Salvatore shrugged his shoulders. Yeah, uh, I wasn't part of the recon team, so, you know, I don't really know. But, um, we've been following the markers long enough. We should be fairly close. Everyone nodded and continued down the dirt path that had been carved out of the woods. It was only a couple hours later, near mid-afternoon, when they started to see smoke billowing into the air, thick plumes of it merging with a dark firmament above. Phantom shapes began to appear through the gloom, gaining tangibility the closer they got. Soon the ghosts became corporeal things, houses, which almost looked like large wooden vessels floating upon a sea of fog. But the closer they got, 
the more it dawned on them that this was no ordinary settlement, at least not one they had ever seen. The houses looked as if they were packed atop one another, one gambrel roof covering congregations of smaller wooden structures. It was as if several houses had melted together, chimeras of fetid wood, glass, and doors. Other buildings seemed scoliotic, hunched over and decrepit, their shadows casting wide black pools below them. Strange black towers rose up from somewhere in the middle of town, staircases encircling them like vines winding around garden pickets. Bizarre statuary punctuated the streets and sidewalks, stone things whose symmetries betrayed the most insane of logics. A couple windmills sat nearby, their sails decorated with rotting corpses bound by thick tethers of rope. But it wasn't the architecture, or even the dead-strewn windmills that caused them to hide in the neighboring thickets, but the denizens of the so-called town. They were human in only the most rudimentary of ways. They had heads, arms, legs, and stood upright. But that's where the similarities ended. Many of them seemed deformed, their bodies stretched and mutated in impossible ways. Some moved around on all fours, bearing sharp needle-like teeth. Others were bent and crooked, as if their bones weren't put together right. Some wore no clothing, while others donned ornate gothic robes, beneath which odd shapes seemed to writhe and toil. They all meandered about the streets, each like a hellish snowflake, unique yet hideous. Well, this was worth the walk. What are we supposed to do now? These people, or whatever they are, don't seem too inviting. River began to sign, to which Vorin vigorously shook his head. No. No, no, absolutely not. What's he saying? Nothing. He's just... Ah, he said that he'd go in alone, see what he could find out. The group paused for a moment, their attention focused on Salvatore. What? My sister's deaf. I've known ASL since I was a kid. The men continued to watch the deformed citizenry lurk about, engaging in strange activities. Finally, Wesley spoke out. Well, what do we do? I mean, couldn't it be that they're just malformed due to... uh, Well, I, I, I don't know what, but just because they look like that doesn't mean they're hostile. The men, women, and children strapped to that windmill might disagree with you there. Uh, yeah, there, there is that. Riva once again signed Devorin, and then looked at the rest of the group. <sighs> River's going to go in. He thinks he'll be able to blend in due to his unique aesthetic. The rest of us will move off a safe distance and make camp. If he's not back by sundown, or thereabouts, we're to move on. They all sat in silence, knowing no words could deter the ever-vigilant Malsair. The man got up from where he was sitting and removed his mask. Wesley almost winced, and Salvatore, never having seen Riva without it, audibly gasped. The scars crisscrossing his mouth almost glowed with a reddish-black hue, and small streams of smoke escaped his lips, as if beyond them roiled a boiling volcano. He stuffed his mouthpiece in one of his pockets and then made his way out from the tree line and towards the Malfeasant town. The group watched as he confidently strode the narrow dirt path leading to the strange place, almost holding their breath with anticipation. Once he came within eyesight of the malformed citizenry, Wesley could see them eye the Malsayer. 
The gazes lingered on him for a few moments, seconds that felt like hours, then turned elsewhere. Wesley and the rest watched as Riva disappeared into the city's streets, fading into its mist like a specter. A silence overcame the group, the hush of a funeral. Voren seemed particularly shaken, his knee bobbing up and down, his eyes glued to the foggy wraiths meandering through the innards of the bent town. Wesley put his hand on Voren's shoulder. I'm sure he'll be okay, Voren. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Voren nodded, his eyes still fixed on the town that swallowed his best friend. Ah, isn't that kind, lying to your friend? Do you, do you have to shit on every instance of human decency? The voice ignored his question. Interesting that your supposed dark scholar doesn't recognize the corrupting effects of serpent energy. These shambling bags of flesh are rife with it. Wait, 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 wait a second. What are you talking about? Serpent energy? What the hell is that? Ah, the ignorance of mankind. Perpetually unaware of the doom right beneath their feet. <laughs> ah, god damn it! Stop with the fucking games and just tell me! Wesley could feel a sinister grin spread across the psychic horizon, a beaming fuck you from his ever spiteful guest. Wesley approached Vorin, who had moved to build a small fire. Uh, you know what? I, I read about this stuff once in one of my wife's books. Um, something about uh, serpent energies and, and um, how they could corrupt those exposed to it. Could that maybe account for what's happened to the people in the village? Vorin gave Wesley a curious look before pondering his words. That's a very interesting theory. It would explain the town folk's behavior and appearance. Jesus, the, this whole goddamn place could be sitting on a giant serpent line, or the juxtaposition of several smaller ones. If that's the case, then we're in for a great deal more trouble than we initially bargained for. How, how did you come up with that? I thought you didn't believe in this stuff, at least not up until recently. Moffat suddenly walked over, injecting himself into the conversation. Yes, Dr. Morgan. Where did you pull that little nugget of knowledge from? Certainly wasn't in any of your scholarly offerings. Wesley was too nervous to respond to Moffat's jab, scrambling for an excuse. He could hear the voice chortling in his head, gleefully soaking up Wesley's internal strife. Uh, you know, like I said, my wife, she, uh, she dabbled in some stuff, and I read some of her books and articles to familiarize myself with uh, some of the things people were saying about the Obscura I was studying. Looking at those people just kind of reminded me of it. Vorn seemed to buy it, but Moffat's eyes lingered, and that smile of his stretched across his face again. The silver lining was that the soothsayer's grin had diminished the voices, a sense of rage emanating from it like the fumes of a churning pot of boiling oil. Wesley took a seat on a nearby log and bathed in the heat of the now-stoked fire. The men sat silently, brooding in the encroaching darkness, waiting for their friend to return. This wasn't Riva's first time behind enemy lines, but it might have been his most dangerous. He'd been Vorin's minder for over ten years, and in that time, he had faced multiple dangers. The ill omen, the Shimora, 
his wayward cousins, the Hexira. But there was something different about this mission, this place. It exuded a certain kind of malevolence he'd never experienced before. It was like the place breathed the stuff, exhaled it from all the stone and dirt mouths punctuating its gloom-stricken body. These people, these things, were just the latest testament to the continent's enigmatic foulness. Riva passed all manner of abomination, each a unique myriad of disfigurement and abject corruption. He could see they were engaged in strange industry. Some were decorating the outside of their houses with sheets of skin as if it were wallpaper, tearing what they needed from a pile of fetid corpses inhabiting the sidewalk. One individual was sewing what looked like a giant bearskin onto his actual flesh, the head of the thing sutured to the top of the man's skull. Others were dressed in dark robes, their skin tattooed with indecipherable symbols and images as they prayed in front of strange statues. He noticed something peculiar. There were various monuments that shared the same theme, the same curious aesthetic. A woman, afraid and weeping, entangled in a meshwork of writhing snakes. He couldn't understand the words they were saying, as it was some kind of foreign language, but he could tell they spoke in reverence of the things, in fear. As he walked the streets, he saw other strange sights. The houses all seemed crooked, as if something had warped them out of shape. Shadows of terrible things taking place inside them danced merrily on the walls, whereas others seemed diabolically silent, like webs awaiting the curious steps of a fly. Eventually, Riva came upon a kind of town square where all the citizens seemed to be congregating. Riva walked amidst the swelling mass until he was afforded a look at what was attracting them all. In front of him was a ramshackle stage, behind which was a giant shape hidden beneath a large tarp. It had to have been two or three stories tall. Everyone was whispering in that strange language, and Riva began to feel nervous that he might get found out. But before he could back out from the growing crowd, a particularly hideous figure stepped out on the stage, and the mob went quiet. The man was hunched and wore an assortment of black and red robes, his face a hideous contortion of teeth and inhuman eyes. Occasionally, wet tentacles would escape the skirt of his extravagant attire, squirming and twisting about as if they had a mind of their own. His voice was more like a croak, a sound forced through the labyrinthine thing that must have served as his throat. Despite the man's mangled appearance, he moved with a certain jubilance, yelling and shouting to the masses in a language Riva didn't understand. His words caused the crowd to return his enthusiasm, many of them hooting and hollering. And when things seemed to hit a fever pitch, he gestured to the side of the hidden object, where multiple individuals began to cut the ropes that kept the obscuring tarp secured. When it fell, revealing what lie beneath, a gasp left the mouths of the mutated gathering. It was a familiar scene. The statue was made from bones and dead bodies, animal and human, each fit together masterfully to create a haunting and macabre tableau. The woman was represented this time by a corpse, her dead eyes white voids, her mouth gaping in a rictus expression of fright. Blue veins spiderwebbed across her pallid body, making it look like sapphire cracks spreading across a porcelain sculpture. 
Wrapping around her were hundreds of snake skeletons, each one winding about her naked figure as if they were tethers of binding rope. To the lower right of the woman was a similarly dead man, aghast and mortified by the scene, an expression of both horror and rage afflicting his face. Above his head was a raised knife, ready to plunge into the third and final character in the scene. This last figure loomed over the whole of the sculpture, his hands around the body of the screaming woman, some of the skeletal serpents embracing his wrists and forearms. The individual wore the most ornate and gothic of robes, its pristine fashioning in stark contrast to the withering cadaver it adorned. The man's face had been configured into a rigor mortis grin, a crescent of rotting teeth and creeping maggots. The hollows of the thing's eyes glowed, tiny candlelit fires alighting the circular voids. Before it all stood a stone altar of unknown make, the mysterious stone standing in black contrast to the pale and putrid spectacle behind it. Surrounding its base were coils of sculpted serpents, some shown to be inching up the sides of the thing like crawling vines on a trellis. After the horde of spectators were done ooing and eyeing, a man in tattered rags stepped onto the stage and laid himself upon the menza of the altar, a horrible smile decorating his disfigured face. It wasn't hard for Riva to figure out what was going to happen next. From beneath his robes, one of the hunched showman's ghastly tentacles presented his right hand with a sharp and rusty sickle. He raised it in the air to the crowd's delight. The man lay on the altar, awaiting his grisly death, clapping his hands in excitement. In one quick motion, the tentacled fiend carved a crimson streak across the jovial victim, a fountain of red life gushing from his severed arteries. What didn't splash upon the man's now wriggling body streamed off the altar and into tiny canals carved into the thing's base. The sacrifice watched as the vermilion rivulets coursed across the thing, gathering in a basin at its end. The stuff disappeared down a drain, it seemed, and Riva assumed that was the end of it. But in the seconds following, he saw red streams begin to flow from the snake-wrapped woman's eyes, weeping the blood of the sacrifice. The people all began to kneel, engaging in some kind of ritualistic praise. Riva mimicked the gestures well enough, pantomiming the worship of madmen with a surprising aptitude. Eventually, they rose to their feet, and the crowd began to disperse, although some stayed and continued to pray to the grotesque effigy. Riva's eyes stayed on the purveyor of the show, who slunk into the shadows between two adjacent buildings. Riva followed him, listening for the man's irregular footsteps as he hobbled through the dank throat of an abandoned alleyway. By the time the deformed man realized he was being followed, Riva's mouth had already opened, Hell's words washing over him like an infernal flood. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anslone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. 
For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 